The title of the message this morning is The Model Prayer. Talking about the model prayer. Now, as an introduction, I'd like to say this, that Jesus, most definitely, he demonstrated a lifestyle of prayer. When you think of Jesus and reading about him in the Gospels, can you agree he demonstrated a lifestyle of prayer? You can answer, yes, yes, he did, certainly. And it was evident to all the people around about him. He would regularly draw aside and he would go spend some quality time with the Father in prayer. It's so beautiful, this example he set. And we're going to look at some of those times when he drew aside alone in prayer in a later message. But for now, it will suffice to say that he certainly demonstrated a lifestyle of prayer. And Jesus is our example. And we should be looking at how he prayed and his example, his lifestyle, and that should affect us. As we look at all of it, we shouldn't just say, oh, well, he was the son of God, and so that's his standard, and, and I can't possibly pray as much as that. Well, I want to challenge you and say that he was setting an example in his humanity of what you, in your humanity, can be involved in, a vibrant, dynamic prayer life. And that's what we're talking about this year. Now, Luke chapter 11, there is one such instance of Jesus spending time in prayer. Let's go into Luke 11, verse 1 and 2. It says, Now it came to pass, as he was praying, that Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Won't you say that with me? Lord, teach us to pray. That is our theme for the year. Teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And so then God begins to teach them in verse 2. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, and then he began to carry on with that prayer. Now, I'd like to just pause there for a moment. And would you appreciate that Jesus is giving us a lesson in prayer? <laughs> Some people say, well, I want to learn more about prayer. Well, here is a lesson from the master himself telling us how to pray, showing us the model prayer, a pattern of prayer. And so if the master himself is teaching us, we better listen up. Now, just three little quick things that I'd like to point out about what we've just read in Luke is, number one, Jesus was praying. Number two, it was in a certain place, the Bible says. And to me, this implies that it was a suitable place. It is most likely he was praying alone. So here he is. He is praying. He's praying alone in a suitable place. And the third little aspect to point out here is that the disciples wanted what they saw. They saw this life of prayer demonstrated in front of them, and they were attracted to it. I believe that a real living prayer lifestyle will attract others in your life group or your family members, and they'll start to see, wow, this person has a, a real proper prayer life. And sometimes people should be asking us, and they ask Jesus, 
They said, we want what you've got, Rabbi. Master, we want what you've got. And so he began to teach them how to pray. Now, for some reason, Luke, in the passage that we just read, he left out the last line of the Lord's Prayer, as we've come to know it. So we will turn to Matthew in order to see the fullest version of the model prayer that Jesus taught. So here we go. If you're in your Bibles, have a look at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9 to 13. Here is the model prayer. In this matter, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and this is the part that Luke left out. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Can the church say amen? amen. Now folks, there is power in the Lord's prayer. And there is beauty in the Lord's Prayer. I believe when we look at passages of Scripture, some of them especially should just resonate in our hearts and we think, wow, this is truly beautiful. And this prayer, I want to tell you, it can still impact and it can still transform your prayer life today, as I'm sure it began to transform the prayer lives of those disciples that the Lord Jesus was teaching. I also want to say this, that I believe the Lord wasn't trying to teach us a set prayer that this is the only prayer we pray. Certainly not. He wasn't trying to teach us this, that you have to say this prayer three times a day and then you have the right kind of prayer life. I believe it's wonderful to pray the Lord's Prayer here and there as the Spirit stirs it within you. But essentially, He was showing a model. He was showing a pattern. And Jesus was teaching Principles of prayer. Amen? Now, let's look at five principles of prayer. Number one, when you pray, honor His name. Please say that with me. When you pray, honor His name. In verse 9 of Matthew 6, it says, In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father. Please say those two words. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, there's something that I've just recently learned about this, which is, I found astounding. Listen to this. Do you realize that none of the Old Testament saints would have ever dared to refer to God as their father? It was unheard of. It was unthinkable. And so when Jesus is teaching them that you pray and you say, our father... This would have been a radical new revelation. Jesus was revealing something new here. And Jesus came to make this wonderful revelation known to us, that His Father is our Father. I want to say to you, Jesus came to reveal the Father to you. He said when He met with the disciples and He was teaching, He says, if, you see, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. He was revealing the Father. 
And here Jesus was revealing, and Jesus was saying that, look, my father is now your father. And this is possible because of Jesus coming and breaking the curse and enabling us to have the right to be children of God, and therefore we can pray, our Father in heaven. And so I want to say to you that this is very important, that we realize that in praying, that we are praying to the Father in heaven, the Father who loves you, the Father who rejoices over you with singing. Listen to the statement on the screen. The words, our Father, are the key to the whole prayer and to all pray. That's an interesting statement. Would you please say this after me out aloud? Jesus came to reveal the Father to us. When I pray, I speak to my Heavenly Father. And I come into that experience and that knowledge of God, the Father's love. Now, in verse 9, we also see the word hallowed be your name. That is in that scripture there. Hallowed be your name. By the way, what name? This new name, Father. But together with that, any name that refers to God, Adonai, Elohim, Jehovah, uh, whatever it may be, any name of God must be hallowed. But this is referring to this new name. The name Father must be hallowed. What does it mean to hallow? It means to respect, to revere, to esteem. Can I ask you today, do you revere the name of God? I trust you do. And I want to say to you that we have to teach our offspring, our children, to revere and honor the name of God. My parents taught us, uh, myself and my two brothers, they taught us that you honor God and you don't play the fool with God. And I praise the Lord for that. Malachi 1 verse 11 on your screen, it says, from the rising of the sun... To its setting, my name, we're talking about hallowing the name of God. My name will be great among the nations. And so praise God. Jesus is teaching in Matthew 6 that his disciples need to come with an honoring attitude. And they need to come before a loving heavenly father. Praise the Lord for that. Number two, when you pray, come into agreement for kingdom establishment. Let's say this with me. When you pray, come into agreement for kingdom establishment. Now, just want to make a little note here, and it's this. Generally, when we tend to pray, immediately we say, God, would you please help with this? Can you please provide in this situation? Our natural default is that we ask, and we present our petitions and requests and so on. Now, there's nothing with, wrong with doing that. But there is something of an order that Jesus is correcting here. Because as we look at this prayer a little bit more closely, we see first this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, speaks about your name, your kingdom, and your will. And only secondly does it speak about give us, forgive us, lead us, and deliver us. And so I want to say to you that there is an order of seeking God first. Seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto us. And even the, in the prayer, first thing, coming to agreement with kingdom establishment. That's what we are seeing in this prayer. So it says in verse 10 of Matthew 6, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
And I would submit to you that if Jesus included this kingdom aspect right early in the model prayer, we have to see it as important and as significant. I'd also like to remind you that our Father is a king, and he has a kingdom. And if we are children of God, passionate about the things of God, and our hearts are growing into the things and loving God and and what God loves, then the kingdom of God begins to take an ever-increasing priority in your life. It has to, if you're getting closer to Jesus, because it's on God's heart, it will become something that is on your heart. And let me say this, do you realize that in heaven, everything is done in complete alignment with the Father's will? Everything. There's no rebellion in heaven. There's perfect order. There's perfect alignment. And this prayer is saying, Father, that alignment that we see in heaven, I pray that we would begin to see that alignment manifesting on earth. Let your kingly dominion come here on earth, in my family, in the school that I'm in, in the business that I'm in, in the country that I'm in. Lord, let your kingly dominion come here. So praise the Lord that uh, we can see and emphasize this aspect of the kingdom. And the Lord's Prayer teaches us to intercede for that reality to come down. Point number three, when you pray, call upon His provision. Let's say this, when you pray, call upon His provision. Matthew 6 verse 11 says, Give us this day our daily bread. If I had to come up to you and say, Give me today my daily bread. Would you think that I'm sounding a little bit demanding, maybe a little bit pushy? Well, that is not the heart uh, that is behind this prayer. It's not about being a tough customer and demanding your pound of flesh. No, no, no. But it is about calling upon God's provision, the provision that God wants to give to you. But he wants you to be dependent on him for it. He wants you to ask, God, give me my daily bread. And I want to say to you that even if you have a very stable financial situation, your salary comes in like clockwork, even still pray, oh Lord, give us today our daily bread. Because God is looking for a heart of dependence. That is what that is about calling upon his provision, calling upon what he desires to give you, calling upon what he has stored up for you. It says in Psalm 31 verse 19, it's on your screen, how abundant are the good things, would you please say good things, that you have stored up for those who fear you. And so God invites us to call upon his provision. Don't be shy. Uh, I like the saying, you have not because you ask not, but we need to be asking more. Listen to what John Gill, one commentator says. He says, when God speaks of daily bread, it refers to all the necessities of life. We're not just talking about a physical loaf of bread. We're talking about the things that we need to be able to live in life successfully, effectively. Martin Luther wrote something in the 1500s. And he wrote this, what does daily bread mean? It means everything that nourishes our body, meets its needs, such as food, clothing, drink, 
Shoes, house, yard, fields, cattle, money, provisions, a devout spouse. And those that are waiting to get married, you say amen. <laughs> devout children, devout employees, devout and faithful rulers, good government. Father, we ask you, give us daily bread in terms of good government in this nation. Good rulers, good government. It also speaks about peace, health, discipline, honor, good friends, faithful neighbors. Sure, can we get along with those neighbors? Yeah, we can. Faithful neighbors and other things like this. And so I want to encourage you saying that God cares about all these aspects of your life. And even one of the principles of prayer is that you can call upon him for that provision. Can you say amen? amen. So church, you can call upon him for those groceries, for those school fees, for the petrol that you need. And I believe that we can trust God not just for a half a tank, but we can ask him for a full tank because he meets all of our needs. Amen. Point number four, when you pray, let forgiveness flow. Say this with me. When you pray, let forgiveness flow. I want to talk about this because it's a principle in the prayer, in the model prayer that Jesus taught us. I am honestly of the opinion that there are some people under the sound of my voice that are struggling in their prayer life because you have a stronghold of unforgiveness in your heart. And somehow you are thinking that, well, it doesn't matter to God. Well, it does matter. Sir, ma'am, it does matter. Because how can you freely receive if you're not prepared to freely give? And if there is a stronghold of unforgiveness in your heart, I call on you under the authority of the Spirit of God. Stop trying to live with that, and you have to forgive. You have to put that behind you. Because you don't want any blockage in your relationship with God. And Jesus was teaching here about this because he doesn't want blockages. So that when you pray, you are communicating with God. It doesn't feel like your prayers are hitting the ceiling. No! Because the heart is open and the heart is clean and there's none of this muck of unforgiveness. And it says in verse 12, it says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I want to remind you about something. We all face hurts in life. Can I say that again? We all face hurts in life. How we respond is so important for the well of your spirit flowing freely. And so Jesus knew that we all face hurts in life. Can you imagine some of the hurts that Jesus faced as people that were with him turned against him, as people ridiculed him, as people mocked and jeered at him? Can you imagine how Jesus had to walk in this very thing of forgiving people? And so he's only asking you to do what he did. Unforgiveness remains one of the greatest problems in society. Lives are poisoned and damaged by unforgiveness. Unforgiveness can result in some of the worst pain of soul, torment of soul. It can result in difficulty. Unforgiveness can even result in ill health. And that's why the scripture says in Matthew 6, a little bit later in verse 14 and 15, it says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And so I want to say to you folks, this is serious stuff. 
And some of you have been excited as we've been talking about this aspect of prayer, and you're excited to get into prayer more and more. But I want to say, clean out your heart so that there are no obstructions. Amen? So when you pray, let the river of forgiveness flow. Have you noticed oftentimes when you pray, somebody comes to mind that you have an issue with? And I would submit to you that is because you are more spiritually sensitive right there. And that's right there when you forgive. According to Matthew 10 verse 8, it says, Freely you have received and therefore freely give. Tell the person next to you, you've got to freely give. We need to do that. And the last point, point number five, when you pray, Rest on God to conquer temptation. Say that aloud with me. When you pray, rest on God to conquer temptation. It says in verse 13 of our text, And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, notice that phrase, do not lead us into temptation. This is quite interesting. Some people have struggled with this. Uh, this aspect of being in the Lord's Prayer. Let me ask you this. Does God ever tempt us? The answer is a very definite no. And this is backed up by James 1 verse 13 where it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. And so when it's talking about uh, temptation in this sense, I believe that God, let me say this, God does take us in times of testing. He does take us into times of trying. Why? Because he's developing the character of Christ within us. But let me say it loud and clear. God will never tempt you. You can know that for sure. But it is the evil one that tempts. And Jesus understands this and he brings this prayer of this principle of prayer into it that we pray into the area of strain strong against the area of temptation. And my point is this that we need to depend on God in the face of temptation. Maybe there you are, sitting home alone at night, late at night, you're all by yourself, family's gone to bed and and you're tempted to flick onto some channels which are not savory. Because you know that maybe at that time of night you might just see something. That's when we need to rest on God to, con uh, to uh, conquer temptation. And I want to tell you that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. God has given you the DNA of a conqueror. And so as we walk in prayer in this regard, we are just reminding ourselves, God, I'm trusting you for victory. Thank you, God. I'm trusting you for victory. And let me tell you this, all Christians face temptation. Sometimes you think, well, it's just you. Every one of us faces temptation. The pastoral team, we face temptation. I face temptation. But you know what? By God's grace, God can keep you from falling. And that is what the Bible says to us. It says in Jude 1 verse 24 that he is able to, I love this, keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. And so I want to say to you that you can expect as you depend on God that you will be presented 
faultless. Can you imagine that day? Come on, church. Imagine that day with me for a moment when Jesus will present you to the Father perfect. He will present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Why? Because God can keep you from falling. It is his word and it is true. Can you say amen? amen. Listen to this statement. Investing in your prayer life will increase your ability to overcome temptation. And so now let's just move into the closing line of our prayer. This is the one that uh, Luke didn't include, but Matthew includes, and it says, For yours, Father, is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And you know what's interesting is this prayer, the model prayer, it begins by glorifying God, and the model prayer also ends by glorifying God, which shows me that our prayer lives need to take into account that we must glorify God in our prayer life. Can you say amen? Come on, let's give the Lord a hand of praise. Hallelujah. Won't you stand with me? We're going to pray right now. And we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. How many of you love, we're going to sing it actually. How many of you love the Lord's Prayer? Raise a hand. And so we're going to sing this. And this is our closing prayer. The Lord's Prayer. I just want to get a note over here so we get off onto the right key. Can I hear the note? Ah. Here we go. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy
love you, Lord. You're our heavenly Father. And thank you that you're teaching us to pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.